0: I got my pen, some paper.
1: <laughs> Here's George for you, ladies right and gentlemen. Right here. <laughs> Today,
0: Sebastian hosting the podcast we have over uh, here.
1: I'm gonna turn it around, man. I have so many questions for you.
0: Oh man, it, it would be a—that's a whole nother show, man. But we'll go back and forth. Don't worry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the special nighttime edition. If you're in Hawaii, of the Two Life
1: Podcast,
0: it is. Uh, Mid-morning, if you're where Sebastian is over there in Germany, I think. Are you in Germany or the Netherlands?
1: Yeah, I'm in Germany. It's okay. nine o'clock in the morning here. <clears throat> Perfect. And so for excuse me, <clears throat> for
0: those who may not know, I would like to introduce my esteemed guest for today, Sebastian Marenko, a true Renaissance soul whose journey through the realms of philosophy, linguistics, and the intricacies of the mind has illuminated new paths of understanding. Dr. Sebastian Schultz, as he's academically known, earned his magna cum laude PhD through a critical analysis of neurophilosophical theories of consciousness, mentored by luminaries such as William Lycan and Simon Blackburn. His academic lineage reads like a who's who of influential philosophers. We're going to get into some interesting stuff today. Sebastian, welcome back to the show, my friend. How are
1: you? I'm great and I'm really glad to be back. Yeah, me thank too. you for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll make this our, uh, you know, a once a month endeavor into exploring some new ideas. I think it's a great way yeah. to. I'd love that. To, yeah, me too. So let me just start off with this one. I, I was talking to a grower friend of mine um, here in Hawaii mm-hmm. that used to grow large amounts of cannabis in California and he kind of grew at a time when things were getting into dispensaries and and you know he got to see the landscape change. And one of the things we were talking about is the way in which soilless mediums have fundamentally changed the the high, have changed the way in which the high the high is. Maybe you could speak on that a little
1: bit. What's your thoughts there? <clears throat> About how soil, how how, how the, the, the quality of the soil changed the high? That's what you were talking about? I, I would say like not only that, but they've used soilless
0: mediums in some ways. Where like they'll just put yeah. them in a cube, put them on a wall, you know, and it's mostly because yeah. of testing that came in and all these ways that the they needed to, to have everything right for a dispensary. But yeah, that was that was the main question.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um it, it's an interesting question because I mean I had the privilege to work in the pharmaceutical industry in Germany. Um, we imported, we, for the first company that imported Canadian cannabis. And um, <clears throat> um, so um, they set up a, I'm not gonna name the company but got, because I, I don't stand for it anymore. <laughs> but I, uh, they built um, a production facility in Denmark and they have a zero pesticide policy. And mm-hmm. I remember we had discussions there that the problem is really to um, if you have testing for the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, it's it's very yeah. rigid, of course. Um, and um, it's it's hard to get the pesticides out because, of course, the pesticides already come with the with the nutrients you give the plants because the nutrients come from plants that probably haven't been. Um, or have harvest, been harvested in, in places where you know you have some pests, They're everywhere. I mean, that's how how you see how <clears throat> the pollution in the world comes back to us. Yep. And um, so uh, there, it's interesting to see in an environment um, a pharmaceutically um, envir- pharmaceutically controlled environment how even with extremely rigid SOPs which is uh, standard operation procedures that are defined for the process of harvesting, for growing cannabis, for what you put in there, for how you walk in there. And I remember as a communications director, I was responsible for uh, bringing the BBC into that facility in Denmark. And, you know, we, we walked in there, like in a, in a nuclear plant or something <laughs> fully covered and they had to uh, swipe the, um, the cameras with alcohol etc. Because in Denmark they have a zero pesticide policy mm. so they had a, a huge book, I like to have that, they had a huge book uh, for, uh, with, uh, for little insects that would eat away whatever the predators are for cannabis. Mm. And that in the plants, you could see them all like with color, uh, like tea bags, hangings, etc. All growers know that, you know, you use uh, various kinds of insects. <clears throat> um, so it's an interesting, um, it's it's really an interesting angle to look at how the plant grows, what goes in there, and what are the factors that determine what kind of chemicals come out of the plant and go into okay. your system. because <clears throat> Of course, we know in cannabis now that it's not only um, it's not only the THC that acts on your mind, but it, it there is an entourage or ensemble effect or synergistic effect right. that is determined by other um, compounds present: uh, terpenes, uh, terpenoids, uh, flavonoids, other cannabinoids, um, alkaloids, etc. and um, <clears throat> So we know that. And I think the best evidence for the entourage effect is that uh, we have an industry now in Germany. You have, I think, in the pharmaceutical realm, you have hundreds of uh, different varieties of cannabis uh, that can be obtained. Uh, and and that's I mean, why would we have that if if THC would be not enough for people? Right. So. So, yeah, I'm. I think that's a really interesting question. How does the soil affect the quality or whatever the plant builds? I've seen studies also on um, <clears throat> uh, how the lighting affects yeah. the, the the terpenes and the cannabinoids that are built in the plant. Uh, and I remember talking to Sensi Seeds, uh, the CEO back then, like that must be uh, eight, 10 years ago or so that they already thought about, you know, Giving the plants, if they grow them indoor, the lighting spectrum of, which is matched to the genetics of the plant. So wow. if the plant comes from the equator or if it comes from the northern hemisphere more, then they would think about, you know, how do we match the lighting profile to the plant so that it does its, it gets its perfect environment. And we know that the sunlight is probably the <laughs> still the best. Yeah. Uh, and of course, now with LEDs and all that coming in, it's 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 really interesting. Once you get into the professionalization of all that in the pharmaceutical realm, but also in other realms, right. and and I always thought that <clears throat> it's it's a pity that, of course, in the pharmaceutical realm, uh, the good thing is that a lot of things get controlled, and you can be sure that there's no mold in there and no pesticides, maybe, and no. Um, heavy metals. But then the problem is that they are only looking for, for CBD and THC content. They, they don't really give a shit about anything else uh, in Germany. So, so they don't, they don't, you know, they don't check if in your uh, Jack Herrera or whatever you call it differently now in the medical realm, if you in your variety, if there is um, a certain amount of terpene, uh, uh, they don't check that anymore. So, Or not anymore. They they've never checked. So um, so I I have a feeling that if you look also in old cultures and how they produced cannabis, right. <clears throat> uh, and they treated it more like a like a vine, vine, or like a yeah like a pro, like a piece of art to produce the product, and they came up with production methods that. Then ended up in way better material than than you would find in the pharmaceutical market because some of that stuff is. I, I mean, I remember when I went down and looked at our uh, at the cannabis, at the quality was too dry, right? Uh, because of course the long uh, way had come and it had been stopped at customs, etc. And um, and so so that's an interesting thing to look into in the pharmaceutical yeah. realm. You have great controls and you have um, have cannabis where you can be more or less sure that, you know, there's no pesticide or heavy metals in it, but it's not produced in the best way you probably would like to have for your high. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, so uh, so soil is is a really interesting um, thing to look into. Um, But um, if you'd ask me now, uh, how does it how does it affect the high? I I haven't seen any um, s- studies on that. I right. mean that would be difficult. But I'm pretty sure it does affect. I mean, think about that. I mean, a plant. <clears throat> um, here's here's a story about them. Yeah. Mex- about the Mexican squash, for instance, it builds. Um, uh, it's attacked by an insect. Um, or by what is it, ladybugs? Then it it pours out proteinase inhibitors that disable the insect to um, digest the the leaf material. Now, if it, if it's attacked by more animals, by one animal it does that. If it's if it's attacked by more animals, it it pours out another substance that uh, that's that make that effect even stronger. The the ladybugs have learned that <clears throat> um that's a story b- by uh ronald k siegel by the way i i really um i can uh, really suggest that as um as a on your reeling, reading list if you haven't read it uh intoxication the book by ronald k siegel um and uh so the ladybugs have learned that the plant defends itself intelligently, you know, not only pouring out that substance but pouring out more of it if it's attacked by more ladybugs. So what do they do? They they take a leaf, they they fly on the leaf and they kind of cut a circle in the leaf with like bite they bite a circle and then they they let the inner part of the leaf sit on only a few bridges, so to say hanging and then they go in the middle of the leaf, they, they eat it up. Why do they do that? Because they have learned that the plant pours out the proteinase inhibitors. Mm. And so they they cut out a part where the plant cannot really pour out the inhibitors anymore. And then what do they do afterwards? They fly away for six, they fly away like six meters to attack the next plant because they have also learned that uh, the plants intelligently communicate with each other. Uh, the plants that are touching each other and standing, or standing in a group, and they tell the other plants, hey, there's an attack. There are some insects coming now. Pour out whatever substances you have to defend yourself against this predator. And so the pr- predators have learned that to some degree. So so there is, and if you look in, in our evolutionary history, there is a lot of going back and forth between herbivores and plants and how the plants build um, uh, bitter substances, for instance, to defend themselves. And then the herbivores manage to... To digest those substances and so it's it's a back and forth and uh so um all that plays a role when it comes to to the plant substance so if if for instance you walk through a field of there, there are stories about um, hemp fields that people would walk through them with a stick and beat the um, um beat the cannabis plants in ancient times or in india i think it was uh, because then the plant would produce more of various substances, THC or whatever, uh, and and that's that's what's happening. If you if you attack a plant, it it builds different chemicals. Right. So so it's not only the it is the soil, but it's it's also other substances. And I'd I'd like to look into. I I mean, I would like to see people looking into um, what the effect is on plants and both. I mean, you could look into yeah. a um, in really controlled environments how does the plant react to music how does it react to attacks by uh, or you know injuries how does it uh, react to um, different soil kinds of soil different kinds of lighting <clears throat> and some of that stuff has been done and you can look at the at the spectrum of chemicals that are built then or that are higher or lower in, in a certain variety and uh, but then also you'd have to look at, because this is the problem also with the entourage effect. Um, we know that the many compounds in the plant modulate the high, but we are not, there's a lot of marketing around, yeah, you know, this one has limonene and therefore it makes you happy, etc. <clears throat> the evidence there is uh, is sparse and it's, it's still not, uh, so a lot of the marketing claims we have from companies in the cannabis space are just plain you know, not most, but, but they're over-exaggerated. Right. So, so it's hard to say, you know, you, you might have a plant that builds more limonene because of a different kind of soil, but then it's another way to to really look into how does that affect your high. It does affect your high for sure, Yeah, but, but it's, um you'd have to look into that and you have to make more studies with people or let them, you know, try it. Because then, of course, it's always another question, if some people consume that plant. Uh, how does it? How much of that comes into the system? How right. much is bioavailable? Because then it depends on what kind of vaporizer are you using, or are you using a joint? Are you eating it? If you're eating it, it goes through the first pass effect. It's broken down by the liver, so some substances get you know altered. If you if you vaporize it, it depends on the temperature of your vaporizer. Uh, what kind of uh cannabinoid and what terpenes end up in your system more because they have different boiling points etc so it's not an easy thing to study yeah. but uh, uh, in, in the future there's a lot to explore
0: yeah it's fascinating i i when talking with my friend both of us had come from california and coming to hawaii and, and trying trying the cannabis out here at first pass like oh this is not very strong but then you wait a little bit and you feel it all through your body and it's like, Whoa, what is this? You know? And so yeah. we were just speculating like, you know, and of course, with a handful of other friends, like, ah, it's the soil, man. You, you freaking guys from <clears throat> California and your soil is moving you guys don't know anything, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, but it, it's, it's interesting to think about it. It's a full different style and, and it just got us thinking about that idea of like, yeah, you know what, when you, whenever you isolate life, you you keep it from some of the things that make it the most wonderful,
1: whether it's Absolutely. a plant or a person that's got to be similar, right? On some level. Absolutely. And I have a, I have a great story for you yeah, because I, I had, a, I had a really similar experience. I went to Amsterdam and uh, in a, in a great coffee shop, um, the media coffee shop in Amsterdam, it's in the peep. I, I highly recommend it. Um, uh, run by Sharon. Uh, and Geo uh, Drunkers, and um, and uh, I I bought some or Sharon uh, gave me some. I, we worked together. I have my art hanging there, my art photos, and um, they bought some of my art, and they they gave me some hashish. And i I'm, I'm usually um, here in Germany. I'm very careful with hashish because um, traditionally it's much easier to lace hashish with whatever yeah. shit you put in there, you know, yeah. rubber <laughs> pieces. And so hashish is, by most of us, I think we consider it like an inferior material because, or really not great material because most of the quality that you get on the uh, on the black market is, is, or used to be bad. So unless you really have a great source. So <clears throat> now I got it, took it home. And I tried it here and I was I was blown away. I mean, it was an amazing experience. And it was, I felt like, I remember when I drank my first great wine <clears throat> at the age of 24 or so, red wine, 1986 Bordeaux. It was such an experience, not knowing, not being an expert, but, but then um, having that experience and being like, okay, this is like a symphony. This is this is like a piece of art. This is really something different. And I can, uh, I understand that I just ran into something big, you know. <laughs> and And I thought, I thought there's something, the interesting thing about it was that I thought there is a component in this high that I never, that I had never experienced before. And I had really I'm not, I'm not using a lot of cannabis, so I'm really not, not a guy who's a daily uh, uh, consumer, um, but uh, I had tried a lot of varieties because of my research and um, so I thought, wow, that's, that's interesting. There must be something in it or there must be a way uh, of, of production that, that is different. And I started to research A little bit and I found an article from 2016 on hashishin Hmm. and uh, it said that in Morocco they um, they have a tradition of putting when when you harvest and dry cannabis usually you put it in a dark place so you don't want to have it exposed to light or to heat too much and uh, so for the fermentation process or for the yeah, for, for the curing process, and um, it it seems that like they put it on their li- uh, on their roofs in the blazing African sun, and um, and then researchers found um, a degradation product of they don't know what it is, maybe of myrcene or some other terpene, and they called this terpene hashishine um, because they only found it in that type of hashes. So um, maybe, I guess so, uh, it, it could be that this high was so different and so um, so balanced and different than whatever I had experienced before because in their tradition, uh, in their long tradition of producing hashish, uh, they had found a way to to cure or to to bruise hashes in a way that you know gives you that kind of high so i -hmm. think it's it's an interesting would be an interesting journey really to look into the cultures of the world uh african cultures indian cultures and i mean some people have done that to some degree uh, like the strain hunters or others, but to really look into how was cannabis produced. I mean, if you look into, for instance, Japanese tea production, and there are some mm-hmm. some teas where they, <clears throat> uh, before they harvest the tea, they use they 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 put it in a shade because then it doesn't become too bitter, etc. So I think in the in our old cultures, we really have a lot more knowledge. Um, cultural nor- knowledge about how to treat a plant, be it like a banana or be it a tea, uh, a, a, a sort of tea or something, um, a kind of tea, uh, how to treat it so that it creates a great taste experience. And also when it when we talk about cannabis or other psychoactive substances, I mean, we have to be aware that these cultures didn't only look for a taste experience, right. they looked they really looked for what does what can this substance do to my uh, to my mind how can it help me as a healer or how can it help me to um, to to obtain a great mental state so uh, so I think um, there's a lot to be found and uh, combining that with new uh, methods of analysis to look into like what I just said I mean we can now look at the chemistry of the plant and we can find some things like hashishin that, that are new compounds. So I think it's a fascinating time to live in. And it's a problem of course, that we still have regulations that hinder us uh, to, to do all the research. I mean, we have so many tools now and so many great people and minds to, to who could do that, but it's all slowed down by the regulations we have still.
0: It's interesting.
1: Like, on some level, it
0: the cannabis industry is 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 a fascinating business to watch. It's got all these highs and these lows, and some ways it mirrors cannabis itself. But one one of the things that I see is this, these you know all these regulations, be it for pharmaceutical grade or for pesticides or all these things, and you know it also seems to be like a like a like a centralization like a lot of the small places can no longer really compete and i was thinking maybe that that one of the one of the things our conversation brought us to when i was talking to my friend is that how can you get some of these small people that grow outdoors you know to compete like what if there was an asterisk involved like this plant was grown outdoors boom asterisk you know and, and and there was some research behind the type of high you could get from that that might be able to shake things up with the with the centralization model and everyone thriving to grow indoors for potency, for maximum this, you know, what do you think about on shaking up the industry by marking things that were grown outside? Obviously it might only play for boutique people, but it might be something that shakes up the industry. Do you have some other ideas to shake up the industry?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, I've predicted that for a long time that the, the craft cannabis uh, market is going to grow and it's going to be there. And it's because of what we just talked about, Um, because we underestimate, I think, that um, many people are looking for for the effects that I've been talking about with the cannabis high, that you have, um, you know, enhanced creativity, um, pattern recognition, enhanced ability to associate or freely associate uh, to enhance ability for empathical understanding and for insights, etc. And and many people use it for for lovemaking and sex. It's, and they they want those side effects and they want the difference. And some want it to be more in their body, and the and some want it to be more of a mental high. So I think that there is a huge potential for the craft grow market there. Yeah. Um. The, of course, the regulations are still a problem, and the, the the problem is that in general, people look at the medical market, and then I think those people who are in the medical market, they understand that cannabis can be used for, I mean, for literally dozens or, or hundreds of uh, various indications. Uh, even in Germany, when we had only a thousand patients in 2017, I remember statistics that th- these patients, these 1,000 patients, had um, had licenses for uh, to obtained licenses exemptions from the narcotics agency for I think more than 50 indications. So even back then, we already had the spectrum of people using it for Tourette's, for epilepsy, for whatever kind of. And so in the medical market, people understand that cannabis does. Can have like effects on all kinds of um, medical problems and, and can help with all kinds of medical problems, but on the on the recreational market, I think you have a complete um, misinterpretation of what people ca- yeah. are using cannabis for, and there is some truth in it. I think there are a lot of people who are using cannabis in a more or less one dimensional way. We talked about that, like the dazed and confused uh, part, or, or I call it the happily dazed and confused thing, which is, you know, you, you smoke cannabis and you're, you're happy and you're laughing and everything is hilarious and you are, frag your mind is fragmented and you forget about what happened today and you forget about the problems you have tomorrow that you have to solve and then you're in the moment which is a great thing you know you can sure. but it also helps you it also can enhance your or can can be a problem for your escapism and to just you know run away from problems so it, it definitely helps you with stress and stress relief of course is the most but that's a problem of the society right. we're living in <clears throat> Many people are just, you know, they're stressed because they live in a, in a, in a horrible system, and um, <clears throat> political system, and economic <laughs> system, and yeah. moral system. Um, so, but but there still are many other people out there, and there are gonna be more as we. Uh, liberalize the regulations around cannabis, the people will find out more and more, oh no, cannabis can not only make me happy and and it's not only the state of being a little confused and being able to watch, you know, being focused on a movie or something, but I can also, uh appreciate art more and I can yeah. go out and and uh, personally grow and I can go out and, and have a better understanding of my kids or my wife when I'm thinking about them high or I can relate to other people better or etc etc you know so um if you um I, I think those people who are growing uh who are, who are going into the craft grow idea should um should look into into that crowd but also they shouldn't forget that um we are in a different time now and of course the market regulations are not strict enough to protect people still i mean i see that here on the cbd market in germany where you have cbd for instance it's it's still not there are still no clear regulations around it so what's happening there are people who are selling cbd flowers they're selling flowers from cbd varieties and they spray them with uh synthetic cannabinoids or whatever kind of shit they're mm. pesticides in there there's all kind of shit in there yeah so so even if you're a craft grower who um emphasizes growing organically and you know using the right soil and growing outdoors uh, I think you should, to some degree, make sure a that the <clears throat> a from a from a standpoint of the society, we should make sure that there there are market rules so that no you know people enter the market who are producing just bullshit and calling it organic or calling it whatever, and and the growers should make sure that even if those regulations aren't there, they should just you know. Be very careful in what they sell, and make sure that it's controlled right for uh, pesticides and for uh, for mold. Uh, because, for instance, <clears throat> mold is a different problem now. Also, because if you're using a vaporizer, mold can be a really a real problem for your lungs. Mm. You know, uh, if you're using. Um, <clears throat> Uh, a joint, it's maybe a different story, it may still be a problem, but, but so, so there are issues. And even from, from that side, I think, so you should combine, if you are in the craft grow field, you should combine uh, the technology, the, the abilities you have to produce clean material, I mean, yeah. uh, and, and to make sure that there are no toxins in it, and, uh, but, but then to focus on what you can give to people and to, to market it that way. Yeah. And that I think it's it's going to be big. I think it's, it's not going to be 50% or so, but it's because uh, not everybody can afford that. But I think, um, and watch that, but I think uh, there's a good 15% of the market that could go in that direction or 10, 10 to 15%. I uh, Just an estimation. But I, but I think in the long run, it depends on education. And that's the problem with the prohibition and with the consequences of the prohibition that we still don't have enough knowledge around the whole plant and the process and you know what goes into it <clears throat> and you can see people still using their cannabis and they you know they have their little back and they leave it in the sunlight they leave it in the heat because for them they don't understand that it's a that it's a, a plant it's a plant <laughs> they just consider it as it's there's in that material there's THC and this kind of stays in there or not but <laughs> that's not. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't leave your yogurt around for, for, for weeks and think that, you know, after three weeks in the sunlight, it's going to be the same experience. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, that's a great way to look at it, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm fascinated by the way in which altered states can give us different insights into the way we live our lives. And you have an incredible background in that. I'm wondering, this is kind of a, for those listening to this question, I'm sure you're a fan of Sebastian here. So I'm sure you may know his work, but I'm going to throw this question. It might be kind of big for some people, but maybe you can, can can you, Sebastian, see any potential for synthesis in the neurophilosophical theories and your work on altered states of consciousness through cannabis research?
1: What do you mean by synthesis? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I, I, yeah. I think I understand the question, but I'm, I'm just want to make sure that I understand you correctly. So it seems
0: to me that there's evolving ways in which we're understanding consciousness. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. And 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 if we look at cannabis research, we're we're looking back. We've already spoken about how they would come through and they would beat the plants to produce a different type, and the way in which they looked at the high was much different. You know is there a synthesis there are are we are we looking back on on hey this particular research is showing us how we can model reality in the future with these theories
1: um i would put it this way okay i, I think that my research um uh draw research draws information from various sources and um it's funny how I wasn't in the beginning I wasn't um, I wasn't aware of the fact that my research is to some degree anthropological um, or I wasn't into too much into the anthropological research uh, but but it turned to be and then I anthropological to some degree because I'm talking to people uh, who are users I'm trying to find out their stories and what they tell about what they say about the effects. And, but also to growers and to the sub, whole subculture, to those who are <clears throat> the, um, those who came up with new varieties, etc. And that, to some degree, is an anthropological um, component in there. But I also drew knowledge from, of course, from the neuros, uh, b- basically from from all the sciences, the cognitive sciences, the neurosciences, neurophilosophy that are trying to come to a better understanding of how um, cognitive abilities like creativity or empathy or introspection, how do they work? I mean, we must be aware of the fact that today we have a very limited understanding. I mean, we are really far in neuroscience and we are really far in the mental sciences, but when it comes to a, a really um, deep understanding of what happens in the brain and how does it manage to um, uh, what, what what shapes those creative processes or empathic processes. We have hypotheses and we have theories based on models of the human brain and about um, uh, how neurons are connected, uh, connectionist network models, etc. But you know, we are we're we're learning. We're at the beginning. So so I use some of that knowledge, and I, I try to um, use it to characterize um, the effects of cannabis on the human brain and uh, try to import some knowledge. but I think yeah. that my hypotheses are could then become really important for those who are looking into the architecture of the brain, how it works, because if we find out how cannabis, can for instance enhance empathic understanding of others we might learn something about um, how empathic understanding works in general um, so what for because I I believe and in my new book elevated cannabis as a tool for mind enhancement which is more of a scientific um, enterprise. Uh, it's, it's a deeper um, investigation of that. Uh, I, I have the hypothesis that the endocannabinoid system might be deeply involved in the architecture of higher cognitive abilities, um, providing not only balance but maybe other functions for systems like empathic understanding, pattern recognition, etc. So that that would be something to look into. So yeah. to to make a long answer short. I believe that, so I drew on the knowledge that is there from uh, the neurosciences, not only on cannabinoids and from pharmacology and what we know about the receptors and the endocannabinoid system, uh, but also from, I drew on the research, the neurophilosophical and neuroscientific research on all those cognitive abilities that I think are affected by the cannabis high But then I came with that knowledge and with the knowledge that I added from myself, my own experiences, but also from from my anthropological research, from my research of literature of what people like Baudelaire or Walter Benjamin or Carl Sagan or Billie Holiday (laughs) or Louis Armstrong, who all reported on their cannabis use and in detail what they had to say about it and then I tried to come up with hypotheses that and to import that back into neuroscientific um, uh, theories of the human mind because I think uh, and that's not only about cannabis but that's about psychedelics of course the psychedelics are an amazing source and uh, and um, and cannabis also uh, I, I once called it the Alice in Wonderland route to understanding the human uh, understanding human consciousness is that nice. is that um, we take that route not only to understand what altered states of consciousness are, but what consciousness itself is. I mean we and and uh, it's we are at the beginning. I mean we are really we know a lot, we know a lot and we we are in the century, that has brought about the most uh, I mean an avalanche of knowledge about um, uh, and and in the last century uh, new knowledge about the human mind especially once we understood and that came late I mean only in the 50s 60s in in the world people started um, to import the insight that our mind has our 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 consciousness has evolved you know it's a a process that comes out of evolution and darwinism hit the world much earlier 50 years earlier so people understood that oh yeah maybe it you know maybe we had an evolution maybe it was not a god who created everything but it took a while for people to understand in the in in the sciences of of consciousness that It took them a while to take it serious. How you know that we have to look at the human mind as a process that has undergone an evolution and the outcome of a long evolution and um, biological evolution. So, um, so I think um, we are now learning more and more about it, uh, and it's it's an acceleration. And we should use um, the science and we should use the knowledge that we have um, on psychedelics and on, uh, on consciousness. But the problem is, of course, that in the last, if you look at psychedelics, many smart minds in the last 40 years have, didn't get the funds anymore to research. Right. You know, they were kind of, th- these are more um they they all had to work some somewhere on the fringe and they are considered more in the, a lot of them are considered as, you know, kind of lunatics and like myself. I mean, I I couldn't pursue an academic career. I knew I was, I was um, done with my academic career when I chose to research cannabis. Mm. So now I I wrote, I wrote several books, but I, I don't have um, uh, I, I have my credentials Academic credentials until I was uh, until I uh, finished my PhD, but but later on, you know, I was outside the field. So now people, they I think it's it's going to be tough for the research to come back. I mean, we're seeing it now, yeah. um, But it's it's a tough comeback because of course the the body work that has been done is is looked at with a lot of you know with a very critical attitude by other researchers because they're like, oh yeah, you know but he's not a professor. He doesn't come out of that institution. And, and, and so um, I, I think uh, we should spend a lot more money on uh, researching psychedelics, not only to yeah. find out about the psychedelics and other psychoactive substances, not only to um, understand their therapeutic potential, not only to understand uh, also the risks and how we have to deal with the risks, um, and not only to understand how, in the recreational field, and I always emphasize that it's re-hyphenated, mm-hmm. uh, how we can use those substances for creativity and other purposes, but also to understand the human mind itself. And um, and the human mind—it's we always talk about consciousness and altered states of consciousness, but that's that's built in. It's we we right. very mm-hmm. often believe. Uh, most of us, <clears throat> I call this. I, I think we talked about that last. I'm not sure. I call this the rational reconstruction era. Uh, <clears throat> we usually, when we when we model our minds, we do that in a uh, in a state of consciousness that is very rational so when i when we're talking about what is co- human consciousness we do that we are verbalizing it we're talking about it in our language we we do that in a state of our mind that is very rational and logical but that's not the state of this renal time we're sleeping every night we are um every night we are dreaming and we are in a psychedelic state for a longer time. During the day, we're going through, hopefully some (laughs) of us still do, going through uh, phases of ecstasy or phase of we're half asleep or daydreaming. We're going through states of um, uh, hypnosis or when we are in an, Almost aesthetic trance when we are in or our trance states, dancing or orgasm, which is also a a different um, state of mind, um, different an altered state of consciousness. So that's part of who we are, and our brain has its own mechanisms to to change uh, change its chemistry during the night, etc., to induce those states also. So these are. in, these are states that we're using also uh, and, and that are useful for us to perceive the world, to interact with the world. Uh, and, uh, I mean, there's still a huge debate about what dreaming is good for. Um, but so we we need to understand that um, altered states of consciousness are part of who we are, it's part of our nature. And the research of altered states of consciousness um, is... In my view, is, is one of the most profound ways to understand the human mind better and the whole spectrum of um, conscious consciousness states that the human mind has uh, to interact with the world. So it's it, it's really about us. I so love it's, that. It's basic science.
0: Yeah, it's it's too bad. See, This is from a guy like I I don't have any science background whatsoever, but it seems to me that it's a problem that we got away from people self-experimenting. And we still do it like I do it. Most people do it, but it's not really accepted in the scientific field on some level. But it seems to me that that's a great way for people to have insights about what's going on in their own brain. Like that's that's some pretty interesting research,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, um, if you look at, um, introspection, um, the term comes from intra, intra speaker, which means literally in Latin to, to look inside yourself. We basically, when you ask yourself, how does that work? You know, um, the metaphor suggests that you turn around your eyes, so you just look at me, and you'd see my eyes go white, and I'm looking inside. So now, what would I see if I would do that? You know, I'd see some gray matter <laughs> blubbering, <laughs> probably <laughs> very dark. If I if I have a torch, you know, um, uh, I wouldn't see much. So how does it work? How do I actually monitor my my own state? So. Uh, cognitive science has found that, to some degree, um, we are we are relying on our beliefs and our, our on inferences when we think about ourselves. I mean, it's of course it's different whether I want to introspect my pain, um, mm. whether I have a pain experience right now. Or, and that's in in philosophy, the term introspection, the technical term is very often restricted to to that of sensory experience, or or it's a very narrowly restricted term. When I talk about introspection, I mean more the term that, or I mean more um, the concept that we're using in everyday, in our everyday language, which right. would also include what I have called in my books, reflective contemplation. Mm-hmm. If you ask me, Sebastian, are you a courageous person? Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot just look inside myself and, and look at a feeling of myself being right now. I'm very proud of, I don't know, I've seen my five-year-old daughter yesterday performing yeah. for the first time in her kindergarten. I'm very proud of that. Congratulations. So, so, yeah. but um. Uh, But so what do I do? What do I have to do um, to be able to introspect or to come up with an answer when you're asking me, are you a courageous person? And um, it's interesting because uh, when we spell it out, uh, we know that memory plays a huge role. Um, we know that pattern recognition plays, uh, plays a big role. For instance, <clears throat> I would probably go through situations in my life where I would have to act courageously or not. You know, did I jump in the lake when the others did in the cold lake from, you know, that high uh, <clears throat> whatever from from this place, in the, in the woods, um, or did I, you know, did I say, nah, you know, uh, did I, did I go on, did I dive with sharks or didn't I, when, when I had the ability, did I go, did I get on the plane, etc.? So I'm going through situations in my past and maybe comparing myself to others, but to go through situations in my past, I mean, there are millions of situations or right. thousands of situations. So I have to, I have to apply some kind of pattern recognition. What are situations that match the question to a degree that I would find out something about my behavior, my decision making, whether I'm a courageous person or not. Uh, I, could also, I could also answer the question or come to an answer for the question additionally, probably, by imagining situations. Mm-hmm. If you're asking me, are you a courageous person? I'd be like, okay, let me let me think. Would I Jump from the balcony if there would be a fire here and I would have to save myself or my kids. <clears throat> and I, if I, if my imagination, if I'm coming up with, yeah, of course, you know, <laughs> easy. Yeah. Then I would probably answer, or if I, if I'd be like, no, I'd rather burn in here, you know, because I'm just, you know, that hate, like those five meters. No, I can't do that. <laughs> so I, I'd be like, okay, um, no, I'm not courageous. And it's probably a combination of those things that I'm, I'm going through my memory, and um, I'm going through maybe also judgments of what other people said about me, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Now, if you look at it's it's interesting. If you look at the effects of a cannabis high, mm-hmm. I wrote mm-hmm. extensively mm-hmm. about how a cannabis high can help you to um, retrieve episodes. So during a high, you are suddenly able to um, to better go or to re- almost relive memories from your past. Very often, if you're confronted with such a question, you're able to associatively mind race through mm. your past. So you suddenly you have like all kinds of situations coming up faster than you'd usually have <clears throat> where you were in situations that had to do with courage. Your imagination is enhanced. Mm-hmm. So your pattern, recogn- pattern recognition might be enhanced. Um, you, so it seems like you're better able to pick out the pattern courageous or non-courageous behavior. Um, and we know that pattern recognition is enhanced in other ways too when you're high then your your ability to imagine things is enhanced and so i believe that because of some of the more basic enhancements cognitive enhancements which would be the enhancements of episodic memory the enhancement Mm -hmm. of pattern recognition associative mind racing going Mm -hmm. fast through memories this enhancement of imagination uh probably because of that i have what many, many, many people describe during a high enhancement of the ability to introspectively see themselves or to come to introspective insights.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, so this is um, a big part of what I've been doing was to look at the whole spectrum of cognitive abilities that are affected, not, not only enhanced, some of them can be negative, it depends also on the doses that you're taking with cannabis. Right. And it's always a question of balance, but some they, they are all affected to some, some degree. And some of those cognitive uh, abilities add up or are implied in more complex cognitive abilities like empathic understanding or introspection And so you can explain to some degree that introspection might be enhanced during a high in in various conditions because of the enhancement or the alteration of other, or the the way other cognitive abilities are affected. But to understand that, of course, you must understand what introspection is. You must understand a little bit more about the architecture. And again, we have Uh, We have the import, you can take that, I've drawn a lot from the philosophy of mind and the philosophy of uh, consciousness and and the cognitive science is about the term introspection and the nature of introspection, but then there's an import back. And I think um, there's, there's an interesting, there are interesting hypotheses about introspection coming from my research that researchers there could look at and say, hey, maybe the endocannabinoid system is involved in some of these processes. Maybe we understand better understand how those things are related at the architecture lever, level.
0: Level. Thank you. It's it's it blows my mind to think about that. On a follow-up question, like let's say there's someone that uses cannabis on the regular or psychedelics on the regular and they do find themselves having this new way in which to thoroughly navigate the landscape be it introspection or they have a heightened sense of imagination. Do you think that it becomes it becomes um even able to get to that state of awareness without the the agent afterwards or, or in might atrophy, if you don't have it afterwards, does that kind of make sense? You know what I mean? You know what I mean by that?
1: Um, no, I'm not sure about the question. Okay. Can, you, can you restate?
0: Okay. So say, so say for me, like I do a lot of psychedelics, I eat a lot of yeah. mushrooms and I find
1: right. one thing that I really
0: love about it is the fact that it does give me deep in, in introspection on myself, on my relationships right. and it allows me to navigate yeah. this space. Of like, Oh, okay. Here's me and my wife, were are having this conversation. This is clearly a negative feedback loop. Wow, I can notice it. That's interesting how that happens. And now I know how to fix that. And now I know what it looks like, you know, and it, I have this right. interesting perspective. If I don't take psychedelics for a while, I kind of feel even though I can get back to that place, I don't feel like I can really get there. And, and I'm curious if, that, if that's something that you have found in your use with, with cannabis or psychedelics, does does that state of awareness begin to atrophy
1: if you don't have the agent to help get you there? Okay, I got, I got it. That's a really, really good question. Thank you. Has, there are a lot of interesting aspects in there. It was a really good question, as usual, coming from you. <laughs> um, and uh, and by the way, you have a scientific background. You've probably read like more scientific books than I have. <laughs> I and read a lot, man. talked to some cool about people your like you, university too. Degrees, so. Um, um i here's the thing i believe that um well let me talk about my experience first i i had the experience that for instance with imagination um that in the beginning especially when i when i used cannabis in my early (laughs) mid-20s i could i could visualize i could really trip on cannabis yeah. and not, not they were not high doses but that's probably also because i'm a very imaginative guy and I, I i i'm over i've worked as a creative director so um so i could i could see i could lay down be high on on cannabis and see uh swarm of birds flying into the cage. And then it was like a camera movement around the cage. The cage would open, the birds would turn into a different feature. Like, uh I mean, I, I could, and, and I could see the whole thing in an animation that I had seen three years before in a movie from a friend of mine who used to hand draw animations. And that was, I was totally stunned. When I was laying down like this, I was absolutely stunned that my brain could produce such a thing and Mm -hmm. and I was sure it was not a memory of that movie was made up in real time and it was made up in the style of the animation because she would hand draw each and every frame and the whole frame with not only the moving parts like if somebody would walk through a landscape she would draw the trees and everything so everything when uh, if you're coming out of, of the animation movie making, you know that everything then will move a little bit. You know everything goes like it's a very psychedelic style. She made a five minute movie and she hand drew every frame. I remember that what what I what I came up with during my high was was looking like that. I described that and I think it's the art of the high. And and I uh, I was like, I was really aware of the fact that I did that or my brain came up with that and I thought that's amazing. Yeah. Now, um, afterwards, a few weeks afterwards, I realized or I found that even without taking cannabis or without smoking or inhaling cannabis, I I was able to to imagine things better. Um, so, and and if you come from um, meditation, Buddh- Buddhism, or other things, you know that, for instance, it, it's a great mental ability, if I tell you, visualize a stone uh, hovering in the air or something, and try to visualize that for 10 seconds, that's incredibly hard, you know? It's incredibly hard to hold an image for for a certain amount of time, and it takes, if you're going through meditations and visualizations, it takes a long while until you're able to visualize something for a longer time. Now, that's a real cognitive ability. And I, I feel that if you've done psychedelics or cannabis, that might help you to train it. And I believe that it might have long-term effects, that you are more, once you've done that, you might be able but I I agree with you and with your question or with the gist of your question, which is that after a while, it might go away. And this is probably connected to what Huxley and others had to say, which is a very modern perspective on the human mind. I think we talked about that last time that also and that is the evolutionary perspective of the human mind is that our brain is not there to open up to everything that's out there. Our brain is has gone through a process of evolution, and it kind of closes do- doors of perception to a degree where you see things that are important for your survival. Mm. For example: uh, when I when I'm walking through a door. Um, and you can measure that. You can look at there are experiments I think done here in Bielefeld about saccadic eye movements, where you where you film the eye movements of, and you can see that on the un, on this unconscious level, when you <clears throat> look at a table or when you let's stay with the door, when you walk through the door, you without. Making a decision, a conscious decision. You look only at the handle because what are you interested in? Are you interested in the shape, the color of the door, or no? You want to go through the door, you know. Right. So your eyes are looking at where do I? uh, What's important for you right now? You want to know where's where's the doorknob? Where's the handle? How do I operate it? Do I have to turn it? Do I have to unlock it? Do I have to? What do I have to do to come through the door? And so your your whole perception is narrowed down to uh, to the function of the door so to say for mm-hmm. you to do whatever you want to do if you're if you're a Stone Age man and you're running away from an animal that a predator and you you see a tree you're not gonna wonder at the beauty of uh, of the bananas or the apples that are hanging from the tree you know you're looking at the tree, like where where is where can I grab something that I can so that I can run and climb the tree so that I get away from the predator so your your perception is narrowed down extremely and and that is what happens in everyday life. So mm-hmm. psychedelic substances or um, or cannabis or other psychoactive substances to some degree probably or open the doors of perception right. because um, they, they take away those functions uh, or whatever happens is that you suddenly sit there and like, like Aldous Huxley said, you're looking at a chair and you don't look at the chair as an object that you want to manipulate or operate to sit on, but you look at the chair as the thing itself. As he said, you're looking at the chair and you're like, Oh, look at the shades, look at the colors and look Mm. at the texture of the wood, like an artist. And um, and so your your perception that is streamlined by evolutionary processes and that is meant to always keep you uh, keep you on track with the functionality and with uh, the matter of survival suddenly doesn't work that way anymore and you are looking you suddenly you're like your focus is on different things patterns and I think in introspection is it's it's similar um, as we navigate through the world. I mean, if you are, let's say, if you're driving a car on the street and you suddenly become introspective and you think about, hey, and we do that sometimes, you know, that yeah. we do that sometimes. So we're driving on the street and we're like, wow, you know, now I have that insight about my wife and why we're always clashing when the kids do this or that or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know? And then, yeah. Uh, but we are still navigating through the world, still navigating, and we're still able to manage traffic. And with a psychedelic, maybe we're not able anymore to do that because we're so absorbed by the process, right. but we're using so much more energy for the process, so so to say kind of energy, because our full focus is on it. And we all know, you know, if you have the full focus on the process, you're getting further. If you have the full yeah. focus on eating food, you're gonna be able to discriminate so many more tastes, you're gonna go so much deeper into the ex- taste experience of food if you're thinking about a process so much more. I think um, I, I heard a talk once about Socrates that said uh, it was basically a talk about what is, what is the concept of a genius. <clears throat> and there was one great idea in it that said, maybe a genius is somebody who can um, just concentrate on one thing just for a long a, a long time. And uh, there are stories or anecdotes about Socrates, the philosopher uh, who was wandering around and then stopped and just thought about things for for hours and was standing there in the rain or something and was just like thinking. yeah and And I met philosophers like that, you know, when I was in the states, I met David Lewis who who you would feel would be like this too. And would just uh, stand there and stop and and you, you would talk to him in the in a talk after he's given a talk, and then people would talk, would be like, okay, um and he would think about the answer to a question, and he would uh he could you know, you could talk to him. I remember it was amazing, and he was just not there, he was just thinking, it's just thinking about the question. And then after five minutes, which is really a long, long yeah. time, everybody was waiting, you know. It was a stream, it was a talk for I don't know, forty minutes and then fifteen-minute section at the University of Chapel Hill uh, at uh, North Carolina, um, and um, and then I think it was uh, Jay Rosenthal or so moderating the talk, and then he was like, after uh, after no 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 answer came, he's like, oh, okay, so maybe we go to the next question, and then the next guy started. To, to answer, uh, to, to uh, pose a question. <laughs> In the middle of this question, <laughs> David Lewis gave the answer to the next one, just <laughs> totally ignoring the guy. I mean, uh, uh, probably was a little bit uh, on the autistic spectrum. I mean, not a little bit, but probably a lot. And, but, but maybe this ability to talk, completely yeah. focus on one thing, uh, gave it, uh, made him also so special.
0: Yeah, I I think that explains the absent mindedness of times too. sometimes people who for me, sometimes or other people I know that use cannabis, sometimes it appears this person is pretty absent minded, but maybe it's just all the focus, the, the light is on this one thing. So everything else falls to the side, you know, like, oh, yeah, but that could be an evolutionary problem, too. You might get eaten by the dinosaur if you're absent minded, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, but, but look into um if you look into populations and not only individuals, mm-hmm. I mean then you um then you understand that probably it's great to have mm-hmm. one guy in right. a family or in a tribe that's totally absent-minded and solving problems, yep. Maybe thinking about how can I uh generate a fire or something, that guy alone or the lady alone woman alone would would be eaten by a predator because uh, because she would be too focused you know working on the problem and then the predator comes in the fringe of her experience she doesn't see it anymore and then she gets eaten so she's not a survival model but in a tribe where others take care of that task she might be the one to uh actually help the tribe survive by generate by managing to invent something to generate a fire you know to work it out with a stick etc because she's thinking for such a long time and i love there is a short uh clip uh from ian McGilchrist. oh i love it you you know the book the matter Uh, of things or or, yeah and the the, uh, the master is emissary master is His Emissary, and um From a a talk he gave, and it's I I think it's illustrated, um, animated uh, clip about the left um, brain hemisphere and the right brain hemisphere, and how they uh, how 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 important it is that we have those hemispheres Mm -hmm. to some degree working against each other. And he's giving the um, the example of a chicken that needs to have. The ability to focus in a certain visual field and to keeps keeps the visual focus in a certain visual field to pick up seeds and to motor control exactly where to pick up the seeds but then if if there's no other system that tells the chicken hey there is a predator up there or there's a predator a fox in the wood or there's a bird predator up there there needs to be a different system that tells the chicken, hey, wait a second, you stop that. There's <laughs> something there, run. And now you can see in, in all of us that if it becomes too much, that if you if you try to concentrate on something and you always have that, oh, I'm hungry, I should, oh, no, oh, somebody, there was a noise, oh, no, I'm, so you become totally ADHD'd. Right. And um, or... are too focused and then you're obsessed with something and you you know you you don't see other things and and i i totally agree with you and we talked about that last time i think especially cannabis one of the fundamental effects i always talked about is the hyper focus of attention um that you that cannabis can hyper focus you on something and i think that happens with other substances too to some degree and um and also the redirection of attention, and then we're coming back to the to introspection again, which is, if we are uh, looking at humans as they uh, as they navigate the world, very often we are, as we are awake, we're looking outwards. You know, we're looking at what where's the street, where's oh yeah. I have to talk to you, I have to do this, and we are only to some degree looking at ourselves. Um, how do I feel right now? Should I, you know, am I, uh, is, is my back hurting because I'm sitting in front of a computer all the time? You know, I'm like in the, vi- in, in the visual world and I totally forget about introspecting my own state, which is why cannabis and other substances can really reconnect you with your body again. And sometimes yeah. you're like, you're like, oh, Man, you know, my, my neck is hurting and it's been hurting for days now. And I should just do my yoga, you know, uh, once a day and I'd be fine. So you, it can turn your, it, it can, because probably also it enhances your signal from the body because cannabis, I believe that it enhances your body imaging system, mm. um, body representational system. And, and so it reconnects here because it turns your attention to your body uh, and focuses you sometimes more on the signals of your body, but also on your, it might be an introspective process where you're looking at your past. And then you have what you just called the absent-minded um, syndrome or so that, uh, and if you, if you look into the, that's why I mentioned also the philosophers or other academics, um, is that you? If you look at academics, everybody knows or we we know that they are running around and they have this absent minus in their shirt is buttoned up the wrong way or something. But we know that they're thinking about something uh, intelligently and mm-hmm. uh, they're not, you know, they, they just have their attention, they just chose, or for some <laughs> other biochemical reason, they've streamlined their attention to some other things that are more yeah. important to them and um i mean my favorite story is about norbert wiener did i tell him that last time i didn't i don't think so no do you know the norbert wiener story he, no, was, tell famous, he was he was infamous for in the 50s norbert wiener was infamous for being the absent-minded guy <clears throat> i mean he he was the guy who came up with cybernetics a Nobel prize winner and um and um he would walk over campus and uh, talk to a student, and then after talking, ran into a after talking to student. Nobel winner asked, us, "So, where did I come from before we talked?" And uh, the student said, "Oh, you came from there." Nobel winner is like, "Oh, then I had my lunch. Okay, thank you." And um, but but the 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 funniest story about him I read is that <clears throat> um, they moved uh, to a different house. And uh, his wife knew that he knew about his absent mindedness. So she put a little piece of paper with a new address and gave it to him to put it in his pocket so that when mm. he would come home, he would drive to the new address. Norbert Wiener went to, you know, to his university to give a lecture or something. And then he had an idea on the way to his university, he took out the note. Uh, Or he took out, because he had an idea and he wanted to note it down, he took, he noted on the back of the piece of paper, then found the idea not to be worth, you know, exploring threw away the paper. And after his lecture, he drove home to his old home, of course, (laughs) and in front of his old home, there was, so that's how the story goes. I'm not sure, but it sounds like if you listen to other, if you read other stories about Norbert Wiener, it sounds really like that could have happened. So there's a little a little girl standing in front of this home, and Norbert Wiener approaches the girl and says, "Hey, hey, little girl, I I used to live here, but I don't live here anymore. Do you know where I live?" so and the girl, <laughs> and the girl says, "Yes, daddy. <laughs> Mom said you would come here and <laughs> So um, that might be an exaggeration, but I right. But um Hilarious. but but actually, you know, I've seen people like that. I, uh, David Lewis was when when he gave a talk in North Carolina. Who was he was like that? It was amazing. Um, so there are some people who, uh, for some reason or other, if if it's if it's a mental uh, thing, or if, if their biochemistry is just like that or not, uh, they they are completely hyper focused right. on whatever they're thinking about. No social interaction during that time. And but we can learn from that, and we can learn also that, of course, <clears throat> set and setting. If you are in the wrong environment, and you're taking a psychedelic or cannabis, and you're focusing on the on the wrong thing, you do stupid things. Uh, um, stupid, and maybe dangerously stupid, you know. <clears throat> but you you can do really funny stupid things too. And I I we went into those stories last time a little bit, but that doesn't mean that <clears throat> you might. Uh, be uh, your that you're only that this effect is only detrimental to your cognition on the contrary, it could mean that it helps you to focus on something uh, really hard and that you make progress in insights for instance on your relationship or Mm -hmm. on scientific matters or and although and we have a lot of We have a lot of reports from people who told us that they had great insights, not only Klagen or Walter Benjamin. And it's not only that they said that they had those insights. We don't have to take them by their judgment, but we have to look at what came out. And and that's what I tried to do in my article on, for instance, on Walter Benjamin or in my book, uh, What Hashes Did to Walter Benjamin. I have a long article on Walter Benjamin and Ernst Bloch in there where I'm trying to reconstruct how they used cannabis, what they said about the effects it had, and what and how it then helped them probably, highly probably, in my view, to come up with new ideas and theories that that really had a huge impact on society. So um, if we look into absent-mindedness and, and that phenomenon, um, I think we have to see it as, uh, um, as a really good case for understanding uh, mind enhancements because, of course, yeah. mind enhancement, the term um, is an interesting one because it's it's very dependent on the context and on the ability of a person to use a certain kind of change in, in the total, in, in his total or her total cognition to be able to then productively use it or Maybe uh, to drive a car into a tree because mm-hmm. you're not able to do that. So, is it an enhancement? I believe um, you can call it like that, but it it's still like I said, um, cannabis as a tool for mind enhancement. It's a tool, and you need to understand how to use it. <clears throat> so, so that that's an interesting. Um, the absent mindedness phenomenon, I think, gives us an interesting angle and understanding on. Uh, mind enhancement, the term itself and the problems and the potential of the alterations of cognition during a psychedelic or a cannabis experience.
0: I love it. You know, it, it brings up a, a fascinating idea that that I've been thinking about for a while, and I'm sure that people have too. You know, right now with all the regulations and, and the current state of cannabis or psychedelics it's in this medical container and there's a lot of talk about education and there's a lot of talk about you know people finding healing but it seems to me and i'm hopeful that this happens but the the next phase may be what you're talking about a tool for mind enhancement and wouldn't it be nice to have a classroom where people could show you how to use this tool hey we're all going to get in the car today we're going to go for a drive Okay. We're going to, and there's going to be people that can do it and people that can't do it. And that's fine. But there Mm -hmm. should be actual places where someone who's really experienced sits down with other people who want to learn how to use this. Okay. We're all going to consume this today. We're all going to, I'm going to show you today. You're not going to drive, but maybe next week you might be in the driver's seat, but you know, I could see, and maybe that's happened in the past. Maybe that's what some of the mystery schools were. or Maybe that's what some of the, the ashrams were, were, you know, it's like, You are going to learn how to use this tool for effective mind enhancement. Can you see that coming in the future? Are you aware of that happening now? Or would you like to see it happen?
1: Well, I think it's happening to some degree um, with, you know, people exploring in in, uh, California, people exploring, for instance, uh, uh, yoga with uh, various, with cannabis or Um, if, to enhance, I, I have a connection, uh, Nick Karras, the is a sex therapist who reached out to me, a great guy, by the way, um, who uh, integrates mm-hmm. cannabis into his therapies. And um, I, I see that coming slowly. Um, and, and there are various um, subcultures that are they're really far, you know, in, in their understanding of how to use um, cannabis or, or other substances for various purposes, um, but uh, but it's, it's a long way, you know, and um, in Germany, we're hoping that we're gonna have a change in the law in the next year, mm um probably it's going to take longer than we all were all hoping for i mean we were hoping for a full legalization for or regulation where um people could actually uh, like would have something like dispensaries so or that's not going to happen mm. but my, maybe we're going to have social clubs and we're going to have decriminalization of more than like uh, 25 or up to 50 grams we're going to have people will be able to um to grow three plants at home so that's a huge change coming here hopefully because government is shaky right now we don't know if it's gonna survive uh the troubles that are coming but um the the liberal green social democratic government so we're all you know we're all hoping that this is really gonna happen um <clears throat> but but i think um there are many people out there who are already experimenting themselves but we for instance when i when i look into what's going to happen in germany people are even those who are liberal are trying to build very sensitive policies around uh, cannabis use and cannabis the the whole market but here what's going to come with the social clubs also is a total uh, so um, advertising is going to be totally prohibited, mm-hmm. and uh, so, which is always done with good intentions, but it kind of pours out the baby with the water because, um, I mean, I've I've seen it. For I give you an example in Amsterdam. I think that cannabis is legal? It's not, and also there are strict advertising laws. I want to sell my cannabis macro photography to. Uh, Sensi Seeds, and I, I, I did in the end, but they had to make sure that the photos of cannabis, and they are just photos of a plant, um, macro pho- photography, artistic macro photography. They couldn't hang them in their offices that would have windows uh, where the public could could look inside because that would be considered advertising for the plant. And <clears throat> so, so we don't only have those regulations for dealing with those substances or use, or home use or growing, but we also have those regulations for um, for advertising. And like I said, some of them or most of them are done with good intentions so that you don't advertise uh, a substance that also may bring risks to kids, et cetera. But a lot of them are, I believe, overstated and and they hinder us to actually bring educational programs and um so education is is a difficult thing i remember also um in canada when they introduced cannabis uh, medical cannabis the canadian companies they could directly talk to their patients so their patients would would call the producers and would ask okay what do i use this variety for and they had experts sitting on the phones telling them yeah maybe you use this one if you want to sleep better this one if you want have chronic back pain in germany if somebody would call us uh, as a pharmaceutical company as a as a producer of cannabis we would tell them to just um, talk to their doctors because we were not allowed to talk to them at all i mean we could give them some general information about THC or something, but we couldn't um, because it's considered still a narcotic here. Uh, there are really strict laws uh, about narcotics, um, and so we could see that education was difficult. and And I still I still think that it's going to be difficult worldwide for people to go out and educate people because. Uh, or to explore those uses because mm-hmm. not only of the prohibition of the trade but also because of advertising laws but it's um, so we have to be aware that there's a there are <clears throat> hardly visible ba- uh, barriers to the education of the whole field which if you look at it in a positive way once that uh, goes away slowly then we're gonna have, a lot more possibilities, you know, to talk about craft grow, to talk about mm-hmm. cannabis, or to talk about cannabis and meditation, to talk about cannabis and how to use it. Maybe for instance, in psychotherapy. Yeah. I mean, I, I am, I, I remember um, Lester Greenspoon, who became a dear friend to me um, and who wrote the foreword to one of my books. Um, he had that. If he had another life, then he would, um, he would use uh, cannabis in his therapies. And I, I remember reading in another great, where do I have it? Uh, high, I think it's, High Cannabis in the or Marijuana in the Lives of Americans from Bill Novak, a great book from 1980. Uh, there is a, an anecdote from a psychotherapist a young, um, who says that he would have never used cannabis uh, during a session. I'm not sure if it's a psychoanalyst or or was our a psychotherapist. I, th- I think it was psychotherapist, and he said that he once had an emergency call from a patient, and she would talk to him for, I think an hour or so. And he was, uh, it was in the evening, and he had just smoked uh, a joint, and he was high. And he said normally he would never talk to a patient in, uh, because of his own role um, well, and his own belief that you know you shouldn't do that. And then um, the next time he saw her, uh, she said, "I want to pay you that hour." And he said, "No, you don't. You don't have to pay that hour. That's fine." And and she said, "No, I, I want to pay that hour because you were so receptive and you 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 were special. You could hear, you you listened better and you understood more." And or, I'm not exactly sure about the wording. Which, mm-hmm. but she was she was so impressed by his performance as a psychotherapist that she wanted to pay him the session, and. Um, <clears throat> And I think if you look at my research and um, what I say about empathic understanding and why I believe that you might have empathic insights and why you may be able to better empathically understand if you have that from both sides, I mean, not only the patient using cannabis, but maybe also the therapist using cannabis to, to deeper connect and um, to, to come to a different understanding and to come into a completely different flow in the conversation, then um, I think there is a whole new world to explore there. Um, But the regulations are going to be, even if we allow for the trade, uh, what we are seeing here in Germany will be probably because we allow trade, there will be stricter um, regulations for uh, advertising, which then it's going to be hard. What is educa- what is advertising? What is education? Yeah, I've seen that on the pharmaceutical market here. So, so um, yes, I'm hopeful that in the future, there is a whole new world to explore, and a lot of people will explore that because the potential is just huge. It's it's incredibly uh, huge, and it's it's so. The, I think it's really valuable for society to have people going into that field and using it but Also to change society because we are on yeah. we are on, on track, uh, but it's yeah. not like um, again, it's not like I'm not Timothy Leary saying it just drop the uh, LST in the population and it's going to be fine. We've seen it's not. <laughs> it's, it, it doesn't work that way. Sadly, <laughs> it would yeah. be. I mean, it would be nice, you know, if you could just drop it and everybody would be happy. But you you have to really look into sensitive. Uh, policies and you ha- have to also understand those who are careful about it and it's not of course some of them are most of them are misinformed and they overstate the dangers but we really have to sit together and think about um uh policies and they will, will have to be sensitive to to get this one on the better path than the last time
0: it's it's such an interesting time and and when i he- it's fascinating to me to see the way in which different areas and different parts of the world are responding to the legalization of cannabis of this plant, you know, and in the West over here in, in, in the United States, like we have some bizarre rules. Like we can, pharmaceutical companies can like, you know, they can tell people on TV to go, Hey, go ask your doctor if you need this pill it comes with a puppy and uh, it comes with a nice vacation home by the beach. You know, there's, yeah. like, there's just, there's just this incredible ads and, when I hear about legislation, be it in Canada or or in Europe or the United States, you know, I, I sometimes think to myself like, "Wow, it just it's so archaic, it's so huge, and there's so much money involved." Like, sometimes I it makes sense to think like, and this is my opinion that a lot of people don't even want to touch it because it means you got to go in and restructure the other laws too, and a lot of people don't want the other laws restructured. Like, they already have them where they want them. So we got to why you gonna open up this new can of worms? You got to fix advertising versus education. Well, what does that mean for the tobacco industry? What does that mean for alcohol? You know, like yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of people that don't want to that that thing opened up. Do you see it that as one of the reasons why it's it's moving so slow?
1: Yeah, and I I thought about it yesterday uh, because I ran into problems with the hemp uh, industry here, um, and that's a really interesting case in point. There, I'm going to explain yeah. that in a bit. Please, uh, I believe that the potential of cannabis, um, the huge potential of cannabis, medicinally speaking, but also of the hemp plant for industrial purposes, um, is exactly the problem now to reintroduce because the plant has been here for thousands of years and used all those purposes abundantly by all cultures, all kinds of cultures. Um, but it's been banned and uh, we can talk for a long time about why the prohibition happened and who was involved and right. etc. cetera. But one thing is sure, if it, if it comes back, we're gonna see in medicine, and you're already seeing that once it's been introduced in a state uh, somewhere or in the country, The use of antidepressants go down. The use of anxiolytic uh, medications go down. The use of anti-epileptics go down. The use of uh, uh, pain relievers go, opioids go down. And uh, the pharmaceutical industry knows that. So there's a huge lobby from a lot of companies who know, wow, once cannabis is introduced, we're going to lose market share big time. And it's hard for them to enter the market and to just take over the companies in the cannabis field, because it's difficult with patents and uh, because it's, you cannot put a patent on it and it's hard to actually generate medications that are, um, uh, that are the type of medications we know because of the entourage effect, blah, blah, blah. Let's not go into that. But, but so that's the medical field. But also if you look into the hemp field or in the recreational field, also cannabis would have, if you reintroduce it, it would have such a huge impact on the industry. You know, for look at the soy industry. Cannabis is such a great protein. If you, um, uh, there are so many other competitor markets or, or, you know, substances that would all be like, ho oh, oh, hold on. So, and here, here we are with the German law. And the German law, for instance, when it comes to hemp, the hemp industry here is really small. And we're talking about, hemp plans, uh, industrial hemp that's that was until last year below 0.2 percent THC now they harmonized it with EU laws so now it's 0.3 percent THC uh, that is allowed as industrial hemp now if you're a hemp farmer you um, uh, for instance you couldn't sell hemp leaf tea even the hemp leaves from, I'm not talking flowers, I'm talking mm. leaves from uh, industrial hemp because it was considered until quite recently um, a, no- a novel food. So novel food means in the EU, it means uh, that it's something that it has come into the EU as a novel, even plant or extract hasn't been in use before abundantly. So we need to check it. We need to make sure that it's safe, uh, quite recently, the EU commission said, oh, no, it's not, because some people, the EHA um, came <clears throat> and and said, um, European Hemp Association uh, came and said, no, um, uh, no, it's not a novel food. It's been here before, and they've proven that you know it was in use and it doesn't need to be checked. So now, okay, now we have that out of the way. But now there's still a law that says, <clears throat> um, an article that says, that hemp farmers have to make sure that even their um, industrial hemp cannot be abused by by consumers. How would that happen? So now if you're a hemp farmer and you're selling hemp leaves in Germany, somebody could come, get a, come and get you and say, hey, wait a second. If you're selling hemp leaf tea, um, somebody could use 60, packages of that tea and and bake it into one cookie and then you might have something that is like a a high comparable to half a beer or something (laughs) which is you know it's ridiculous and of course uh, you don't get punished with uh, with uh, like jail time or something Um, but People have been, pro- hemp farmers have been prosecuted. I just talked to some who have been prosecuted. The police went in with, I don't know, with, a, with five hours, police running at their place. Uh, they also sold CBD oils. And, and then th- they're traumatized uh, and yeah. they took away all their products. They went to their uh, other business clients. They lost 70% of their income in that year. They had to go through the process of um, uh, through they, they won I think twice in court or so, but if they're even winning, you know they confiscate all your material, then you're losing all your uh, clients for a while, etc. So it's ridiculous. I mean, it's really yeah. and there yeah. you see. And I, I'm wondering, you know, in Germany, very soon you're gonna be able. If that law comes through, and it seems like they will do it, then you can have three plants at home, high TC. And you can have, if you're a home grower, you can have up to 50 grams of of uh, cannabis flowers at home. Or if you don't grow yourself, you can have up to 25 grams. And um, with a lot, which is quite a bit. And yeah. um, But they're not going to change the law, around. it seems from what I heard, they're not going to change the law about um, hemp so you still as a hemp farmer you can still be prosecuted for selling low 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 thc hemp um, flower uh hemp leaves while others are allowed to have 25 grams of cannabis and why does that come and i believe there must be, there must be a lobbyism around sure. there. Yeah. must be strong yeah. industries and I've seen it. I mean, I, I, I went to Berlin uh, when I worked for that pharmaceutical company and I was in a, in a, in a group, uh, the cannabinoid group of the biggest pharmaceutical association. And uh, I've seen how lobbyism works to some degree. And, uh, and I think um, that um, I think that this is the problem of cannabis. It's so versatile that it's, it's just endangering many markets. And it, it's the problem, of course, from the view of those who are using cannabinoids or cannabis in the medical realm, it's so much better for, for, for most of them, for instance, in the, uh, in, the in the chronic pain department, they have no alternative. you know it's not like yeah. you can use an opioid for months and months and, and expect it to be work long term in the long term opioids don't are really not they're great for acute pain but for chronic pain for some people. Uh, <clears throat> they, they don't work. And, and of course they have uh, su- strong side effects. Yeah. So uh, many patients wouldn't have an alternative. Um, ep- epilepti- epilepsy and other problems, you know, they're so much better to be treated with cannabis. And then also, if you look into the industry, you know, the car industry in Germany already works with hemp fibers, um, BMW, BMW and Mercedes. They're using hemp fibers in their cars. <clears throat> so you, you see the industrial uses coming slowly, but the industry yeah. is still being hindered. And I believe it is because it is so versatile. It, it's amazing. I mean, if you look at the material just one of the strongest fiber fibers uh, natural fibers in the world it's great to clean um, uh, the soil it's uh it, it doesn't you don't need pesticides the plant defends itself really defends itself really well it grows fast etc etc I, I i'm not going through the whole list uh, so it, it totally makes sense to use the plant and it would deliver goods uh ropes etc yeah. and i if you have to go to Amsterdam to the Hampel Hashish Museum, there is one picture in there which really blew my mind. It's a dry, it's a, an oil painting, and uh, uh, beneath, I'm not, uh, I'm not sure if I remember everything correctly, but it shows a scene of people who are sitting in a bar. Seventeen, I think it's seventeen hundred or eighteen hundred something. I think it's seventeen hundred something, and there's an oil, a lamp. Uh, burning like uh, a light uh, a candle something an oil lamp sorry and the people are are drinking and smoking a pipe or something and the uh, the subtitle says or the um it, it says okay these people are are wearing hemp clothes they are the oil lamp is run by an oil from hemp the um uh, the painting is drawn on can, canvas by, by, by the way comes from cannabis the word <laughs> so the canvas was made out of hemp fibers the oils to draw the painting are made from hemp uh, oil uh, on the basis uh, and the so the people wear the clothing they're drinking I think they're drinking um, or they're smoking hemp also or, or cannabis so basically it's yeah. all it's all cannabis. So, you, you in in that one painting, you see how much uh, we already use it um, as a society, and it's it's gone. But um, so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough comeback because there are so many industries now who are being threatened by it. Yeah. Um, but I'm I'm I I hope that people understand, especially what concerns climate change, that. That cannabis can basically save the world. I'm I'm yeah. totally convinced. In yeah. that aspect. I, in that aspect at least.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm hopeful people will on some level get to the point where they I don't know, maybe maybe it's demographics. Maybe maybe old ideas are dying in in the mm-hmm. resistance to them or are kind of being brought in, but Sebastian, I love talking to you, man. And I'm really excited that we're going to be doing this at least once a month. I I, I love the insights. And again, I think that I have got through maybe two of my questions. So, you know, it, it's always so fun <laughs> oh, to begin with something. I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> I really came in there and said, I want to answer more questions today. It's it's perfect the way it is because I love I, – I'm a nonlinear
0: guy. And I just love to see where the conversation goes. I think the audience likes it. I mm-hmm. love – figuring things out and just talking so. about them yeah of course but you have all these books and we, we we didn't even even though you may have mentioned the titles we didn't even get to go through them at all so maybe before i let you go can you give us the titles of the books and and what you got coming up and what you're excited about
1: yeah i'm horrible at advertising um <laughs> yeah here's a quick run through because yeah. i i hope that um people did not um well, this one is not available anymore. This is high insights on marijuana, and this is basically my like a doctoral thesis uh, where I first explored the whole field that came out in 2010, self-published because I uh, I couldn't find a publisher back then. <clears throat> then um, I published a book um, in 2013, which is in German, uh, which is high. Uh, in in English it would read The Positive Potential of Marijuana. Uh, That's uh, the one with a foreword by Lester and my friend Lester Grinspoon and with with, uh, seven essays and a lot of um, my cannabis photography and uh, my art photography uh, which made a big splash in Germany and I, I made it to television and everywhere here. Because I had tried to compress uh, my stuff into small essays and uh, and also um, give a, have a visual concept of how to introduce people to the plant, um, you know, uh, under uh, and not not going into all the associations that you would normally have. Uh, then I started to write an expert blog for Sensi Seeds in Amsterdam, <clears throat> and based on those essays that I prolonged and. Uh, uh, and then I got, got back to them and I put 20 of those essays in my book, what hashes did to Walter Benjamin, which is also an exploration, not only of the individual effects of what cannabis can do to your mind um, and how it can lead to certain kinds of enhancements, but it's also about what, what cannabis has probably done also for societies. And I look for, instance, so not only at the use uh, at Walter Benjamin but I look at I uh, have an essay in it on the early evolution of jazz where I look wow. at how Billy Holiday, Louis Armstrong and others used uh, used cannabis for its mind enhancements and it's amazing also to to read for instance many people don't know that Louis Armstrong was a great writer um, he had his, his crazy jargon and he wrote a lot of interesting things also about cannabis and he I, I think he once said that his uh, autobiography could well be titled Gage, and Gage was the code word for cannabis back then. Mm. Um, he was a daily user. And, uh, and <clears throat> oh, oh, here's another great book recommendation. Uh, really the Blues by Milton Mesmero, who was also a musician playing with uh, Louis Armstrong, um, which is an amazing book. Here, here it is. Let's see. <clears throat> Um, if you're interested in jazz and in the whole story also about jazz and cannabis and what cannabis um, uh, did for jazz musicians in the early days, I mean, this is the oh, book yeah. for you to read. Riva Real Blue really by weird. Milton Mes-Mizro. Um And, um, yeah, more about that some other time. Then I wrote, um, in German and English, The Art of the High, I published that in in 22 here, The Art of the High, Your Guide to Using Cannabis for an Outstanding Life, which is really a short um, and minimalist um, guide for those who want to use cannabis for those enhancements that I've been talking about. Uh, You can read that in three hours. I think it's quite entertaining and very hands-on. It's very very focused, not on, you know, Cannabis as for medicine or whatever, but it's really focused on how can I use cannabis for various mind enhancements, uh, and it's very hands-on. And then um, recently, I had the privilege to publish, uh, to get published by Hilaritas Press, uh, and this yeah. is elevated cannabis as a tool for mind enhancements. So for those who are uh, scientifically more interested in the subject, it's not only it. it uh it also contains a chapter on um on the prohibition and the stories of prohibitions but it's mostly also about the the cognitive effects and um about the mind enhancements the endocannabinoid system and uh, also about addiction um so uh, i think that's the one to read now for those who are more scientifically inclined to get into my my cannabis work
0: yeah, That's I would lovely. recommend.
1: See my my see my advertising section is short.
0: <laughs> nah, <laughs> it shouldn't be. Like I, there's so much good stuff in there, and I, I hope people will take time to go check them out. And you know, as as we continue with our talks, I'm sure we'll get into more about what inspired those. And you know, w- were was each one of those books inspired by a different relationship with cannabis?
1: Oh, that's a good question <laughs> um, I think the dynamics um of publication was a bit different. It was not a different relationship to the plant but probably okay. to society. Mm. that was more a factor because my first book um I remember <clears throat> I had a really great i wrote to more than two hundred um literary agents in the states for um and and i got a lot of good feedback they wrote most of them wrote hey that's um uh that's a great project but i don't know how to who do who who i'd sell that to (laughs) and um and one guy was really he had sold a lot of books a big agent and he almost jumped on the train but then he was like Can't do it because you're writing about your own experiences, and so he came Mm -hmm. from the side of psychology. And I I realized that my approach that includes my own experiences is for a psychologist. For in philosophy, that's for for many who come from the phenomenalist tradition. That's totally fine. You know, they're like, yeah, of course, that belongs in there. Uh, from the psych, uh, from from this tradition in psychology, they would be like, "Oh, you're prejudiced. Or you're you're also using your own experiences." Nah, um, but so so that book um, kind of uh, dropped. I mean, I self-published and never got anywhere. I, I remember I had great um, feedback from people like uh, Michael buckes and. Uh, jason silva came back to me he was the first one i think to respond he was like hey man this is <laughs> this is awesome and then since then we've been in contact um uh but um but so i thought about uh what can i do um and i worked on a book with uh, lester grinspoon which never came out um sadly marijuana the blessing would have been the title uh, that's a long story in itself, but but I um, that's what delayed my my book, which was to come out earlier. But but then I thought about okay, how can I how can I get my research more into the public mind? How can how can I actually go get through those and uh, taboos and and uh, yeah. and you know go around those prejudices, etc. And the outcome is high, thus positive potential in marijuana. And the the images, the imagery, is in this book because this book is the new book uh, elevated. is based on the imagery of that book. Yeah. And um, and so, uh, so that's how how the next book came out. Was basically learning from the experience of my first book that I I think I came up with a with interesting research, but nobody was interested, or you know nobody would listen. And and then the second book was. Like I said, it, it made a big splash in the media here, even in 2013 when we didn't even have medical marijuana. Uh, with, I mean, a very provocative title. The positive potential of marijuana is like, you know, it's like, whoa. Uh, so, um, so that was, uh, and it it came out for for one of the biggest publishing houses here in Germany. And um, and then uh, I think The Art of the High also was a project where I said, okay, I want to now go directly to, and I, I wondered why I never published that book because it's really about um, telling people about the risks and minimizing the risks and being very hands-on on giving them a guide for, for um, <clears throat> how to use cannabis. Uh, for my enhancements and then i i had the chance to go back to elevated with hilarious press the publishing house of christina the daughter of robert anton wilson mm-hmm. they read I, one guy one of my readers who read uh, what hashes did to walter benjamin uh, got me there and um, that was an amazing experience because they this book is so well edited uh, I'm, I'm really still amazed uh, by their work Uh, Richard Raza mainly, but also Michael Johnson helping me and and Christina uh, enabling the whole project. And uh, what Hashi did to Walter Benjamin, which came out in 2015, was um, based on my blog where I uh, was able to um, actually sell my essays to censuses, and that was – Translated to five languages, so so it was more my books trying to um, following the course of trying to make my way in a really difficult difficult publishing world, yeah. than a different relationship. But I, I think my my later books, of course, have um, um, benefited from my pharmaceutical my my knowledge in the medical world also, um, and um, uh, but the relationship um kind of stayed very similar i'd say no
0: i like it i it's curious to hear the titles of them and then try and see where you are in your life you know like the art of the high and then elevated you know what i mean and like you like it's it's cool to me to draw my own comparisons and be like oh like look at this trend this 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 action right here this this overstory that's happening on top of all the information inside of there, man. I'm super stoked. I, I, um, I can't recommend it enough. Everybody go, you should be down in the show notes, checking it out and looking forward to our next conversation coming up next month. And um, yeah, we'll hang on briefly afterwards, Sebastian, but did we, even though we talked briefly about the books, I don't think we mentioned the website. Where can people find you at?
1: Oh yeah. Um, you can find me at uh, Sebastian Marincolo uh, D E um and i have all my books on there there are many essays on there it's a blog also uh, book essays and find the news on whatever's happening and the the podcasts i'm on um, uh, some of them of course are in german but um, most of it also i'm in, in international podcasts um, uh, and uh, so, so if you want to follow my work uh, and maybe get into some some of my yep. work, um, you can you can read it all there. If you want to read my stuff in Spanish, <laughs> you have to go to the Sensi Seeds blog. Um, but um, or other languages. But I think it's a great, um, uh, my, my website is a great start um, to uh, to get into my my work. Uh, and because people have all kinds of interests, some people want to mo- know more about creativity, some people want to know more about how to use cannabis for sex, some people are more scientifically inclined and some people really want to use it for themselves. And so uh, it's all in there. You can just check my website, I guess. And also um, I'm working as a consultant. so. If you uh, reach out to me, um, just write me, a, drop me a mail. If you uh, uh, use want to have, I'm, I'm working as a life consultant, also a life coach, uh, uh, and um, or also for business, um, for companies. If you want to, for instance, know more about how to uh, build a strategy around your craft goals, etc., just uh, reach out to me. I, I think I can look back to. Uh, to a very long um, uh, uh, life of experience with cannabis in all kinds of areas professionally and um, personally.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. For anybody listening that may be looking for some consulting or speaking or anyone that just wants to thoroughly understand the relationship between behaviors and tensions and the cannabinoid system, I think there's no better person than Sebastian, hands down. Oh, with the well, like, look, I'm, I'm telling you because it's true. It's it's a it's it's mesmerizing to to talk to you and get, and like people should really try and read your thesis and understand the background with which you're bringing here. Because I, I don't I don't think there's anybody that can touch it. Like intentions, behavior, and the cannabinoid system. Maybe that should be the next book. You know, <laughs> but it, you're crushing <laughs> it, man. It's anyways. So I'll keep talking thank to you, you. I'll let you go, man. Um. But but hang on briefly after because I'll speak to you briefly after to yeah. so everybody.
1: Absolutely.
0: Shout out to Ben Palmer. He says Sebastian, you're a gift. I love it. Ben, reach out to me. Thanks. Man. Yep. Thank you, my friend. And um, that's all we got going on, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you have a beautiful day, a beautiful evening, and a beautiful tomorrow. And that's all we got. Aloha. All right. Aloha, everyone.